post-infarct VSD and uh, ventricular aneurysm. The preview question, which of the following is not an indication for surgical treatment of ventricular aneurysm? Angina refractory to medical management, recurrent ventricular tachycardia, risk of late rupture, or congestive heart failure, or coexistent left ventricular thrombus. Not an indication. Okay, so most, most of you got that. Um, left ventricular thrombus, uh, very common in these patients, and so that's not an indication to go in. All of these others are. And the risk of having a thromboembolic event from ventricular thrombus is very low on the order of 0.3% annually. So that doesn't warrant the risk. Mechanical complications of ischemic heart disease. These are the ones that uh, you should be familiar with. Left ventricular aneurysm, MR, ventricular septal defect, and combined valvular and ischemic heart disease. We're going to talk about aneurysm and BSD. Another lecture will hit ischemic MR and this other. So post-infarct left ventricular aneurysm. Definition is a transmural delineated fibrous scar. It's generally a large surface area, thin, uh, devoid of any muscle due to fibrotic displacement. Both of the walls bulge outward, different than diffuse or partial scars, and that segment can be akinetic or dyskinetic. Often it accompanies a depressed LV ejection fraction, usually 35% or less. And this uh, diagram just demonstrates uh, the normal function versus an akinetic func uh, segment versus a dyskinetic segment in which it moves paradoxically the wrong uh, direction and an aneurysm often uh, does this. A ventricular aneurysm is a full thickness lesion whereas a false aneurysm or pseudoaneurysm is basically a contained rupture by the pericardium. So they're two different uh, anatomic and physiologic process, and we'll kind of look at both of those. So the pathology, again, a white, thin, fibrous scar, smooth, it's non-trabeculated endocardium. Murothrombus is present in about 50%, so that's not, uh, that's very common to have that. 20% over a lifetime would develop some type of thromboembolism, but again, very low annual rate, less than 1% and we don't operate for that reason. Overlying pericardium, usually adherent or even calcified and stuck to the aneurysm, and non-aneurysmal non LV increases in volume and in thickness. The location, 85% of them are anterolateral near the apex. Uh, very seldom will they be posterior near the base. 50% uh, are false or pseudoaneurysms. True posterior LVAs are associated with uh, MR in most cases, and lateral is very, uh, very rare. Uh, incidence, 10 to 30% of post-MI in the untreated patients. Now that uh, we treat most patients very quickly and they have short door-to-balloon times, 
This incidence is uh, decreasing. It's reduced by these early PCI events and also better uh, hypertension control and avoidance of steroids. More common in large infarcts with few collaterals and it progresses over uh, six months and is unlikely to get bigger past a year. LV function can be reduced uh, systolically due to the paradoxical movement and global LV dilation uh, with decompensation. RV function can be affected with the septal uh, akinesis or dyskinesis and increased pressures and uh, RCA disease. Increased LV volume is another outcome and inactivation of at least 20% of the LV wall is needed to produce this LV enlargement. Natural history in terms of survival, if you have an LV akinetic area, 69% uh, five-year uh, five survival. If it's dyskinetic, on the other hand, in other words, bulging out, outward, that reduces your survival to 54%. And if you've got a dyskinetic area with a decompensating uh, remaining portion of your LV, it drops to 36%. So the size of the LV aneurysm is a risk factor for death. And there's definitely a prognosis that's associated with dyskinesia rather than akinesia. Signs and symptoms usually are of heart failure with a history of MI. Less than 50% of patients with a classic LV aneurysm have stenotic coronary disease limited to the LAD. So it's multivessel disease. They also have an increased incidence of ventricular arrhythmias. And uh, here's the stat that we mentioned on thromboembolism. Pulmonary embolism uh, also is a risk. Diagnosis and workup, EKG will show ST elevation, loss of R waves. Chest X-ray will show an enlarged heart, uh, but the clincher is echo, uh, where the aneurysm will be able to be seen, the mitral valve uh, assessed, and whether there's thrombus. Also important is the coronary arteriography and assessment of the blood supply to these areas. In operating for an LV aneurysm, you're going to want to do possible bypasses to the segments and any disease that uh, can be bypassed. Indications for operation, uh, a large LV aneurysm with angina, heart failure, recurrent VTAC, and also to reduce the risk of late rupture. Here on a CT scan, you can see a large LV aneurysm and it's calcified in this. This is not a contrast in a vessel. That's calcification of the aneurysm. Uh, small LV aneurysms can be addressed with other cardiac operations such as cabbage and uh, segmental akinetic LV, uh, so-called SVR, ventricular restoration. You should avoid diffuse hypokinesis without a discrete thin-walled aneurysm or in patients that have severe LV dysfunction and those patients probably should be considered for transplant. So the basic considerations, uh, think, think about the need for possible RV entry and so bicaval 
uh, in the anterior uh, aneurysms, preserve the LAD if possible, and maybe even bypass based on catheterization. Uh, longitudinal anterolateral incision in the posterior situation, incision in the long axis, occasionally transverse based on the anatomy, and uh, make sure to avoid the papillary muscles in your repair and incision. The classic techniques for closure, the classic linear closure, uh, first one of these was done by uh, Dr. Cooley in 1958, and uh, we'll just show an example of that. Uh, then there's also a remodeling ventricular uh, ventriculoplasty that presumably helps LV dysfunction and uh, improves the, the shape of the left ventricle. That's the door procedure or the Jatin procedure. Another name is the Guillemet, and we'll look at one of those too. And then uh, with arrhythmias, with you need to enlist your EP colleagues, and uh, AICDs are common in these situations as well. So here is a nice echo of a, a fairly normal residual left ventricle but this huge LV aneurysm out here. This is the aneurysm. You can see kind of swirling smoke in here, which is why they often have a clot. Is that one gonna work? Yeah. So here again is the smoke inside the aneurysm. Good squeeze in the uh, left ventricle. This is the uh, linear closure and the aneurysm is resected and then closed in a linear fashion with Teflon pledgeted strips, a big 2030 uh, proline, use an MH needle again, get good deep bites. Incidentally, the guy that uh, did the, one of the first of these operations did it w before bypass, a guy named Bailey and Lykoff did one, I guess they just clamped it, sewed it, and then excised the thing and they and they the guy lived too so this is a demonstration of a door procedure you can see the aneurysm out in this this is the normal lv here this is on uh, on arrest this is that thin walled uh, aneurysm normal myocardium down here again here's another view thin walled white scar this is isolating the LAD, because we're gonna do a bypass to this vessel as well. And uh, we start getting into and excising most of the uh, aneurysm. You should leave a small two to three centimeter rim of that to use to cover it up and, and repair after. This nicely demonstrates the differentiation between the trabeculated left ventricular myocardium and the scar all the way around. And so there's this narrow neck, really, that you see here and here. So most of that aneurysm is excised with a nice rim. And then this, uh, we're putting in what's called a Fontan stitch, and that's gonna reapproximate that neck to reapproximate the normal LV morphology. You wanna have, one, one of the pitfalls of this operation is narrowing it too much. 
and decreasing the size of the LV. You need to have at least 150 mils or cc's volume after you're done. So don't narrow it too much. Uh, they even have prostheses that you can put in uh, as a measuring device. But this is the Fontan stitch, usually a 2.0 or 3.0 proline, circumferentially to narrow that back. And then it looks like this after you've tied it. And then uh, a little patch is placed to cover the defect. We just used a, a, a Gore-Tex patch and then put some autologous pericardium on the back side that would be facing the inside of the ventricle. This is sewn in with proline, sorry, uh, and then uh, sewn directly into that hole. And then this remaining pericardium is excised with a little bit of rim to then sew together and close over the defect. Okay, so the results of surgical treatment, operative mortality is about 5%. Acute cardiac failure is the most common reason at 64%. And these are some of the preoperative uh, risk factors. The results of uh, surgical treatment, symptomatic improvement, not always associated with improved LV function, late mortality, 75%, five-year survival. A third will die from heart failure, a third will die from another MI, and then ventricular arrhythmia are the other uh, reasons for failure. The STITCH trial showed a 67% five-year survival and was no significant difference compared to cabbage alone. All right, so post-infarct uh, pseudoaneurysms. These are also post-MI, localized contained rupture in, in that it's not an actual aneurysm. They usually have a very small neck uh, and the wall consists of pericardium and not ventricle. More likely posterior or lateral and they're more likely to rupture than true left ventricular aneurysms. And so the finding of a pseudoaneurysm is an indication for repair. You should not leave these. Uh, acute free wall rupture after MI is the, is the cause and uh, second most common cause of death and generally one to seven days after infarct. So the location, 60% are anterior, 40% are posterior, associated with total coronary occlusion with very few collaterals, maybe multiple, um, and posterior, oh, I'm sorry, we're on to we're on to VSDs, sorry. Okay, so that's, that's, all, that's all we have on pseudoranzo. I thought there was gonna be more on that. Okay, so this is post-infarct VSD. We're on to a different topic, ventricular septal defect. 60% of them are anterior, 40% are posterior, and uh, associated with total occlusion of the coronary with very few collaterals, large MIs, maybe multiple or staged, and Posterior VSDs, as we mentioned previously, can be associated with severe uh, MR. And the late complication can be aneurysm. Here's a nice echo showing a VSD near the apex. Uh, the murmur can be uh, pansystolic, uh, and you also need to consider uh, acute MR. And this guy's got, we can't really see it at that point. 
chest x-ray, uh, pulmonary venous hypertension, large pulmonary blood flow, uh, echo will define the site, and with a PA catheter, you can demonstrate a shunt, uh, usually of greater than or equal to two. And so anytime you see that, you expect that if you had a swan in, that your SVO2 would be up in the 90 to 95 range, okay? That's another indication for, um, or thinking about a, some type of VSD. These occur uh, in one to two percent of MIs, thankfully. Um, incidence is decreased with thrombolytics and PCI. Uh, most occur after the first infarct and usually two to three days post-MI, but they can show up up to two weeks after. And so sometimes we'll get transfers in as late as that uh, in which they've had an, a VSD show up. Risk of early death is high, 25% mortality in the first 24 hours, 50% at one week and greater than 70% at two weeks. Uh, anterior infarct, infarction and a VSD uh, with conduction, abnormal, conduction abnormalities and an inferior infarct can often manifest with papillary muscle rupture but no conduction defects. So when should you operate? What's the timing? The indication is a presence of a VSD. The timing, it's generally urgent for any hemodynamic or end organ decline, but these can be delayed uh, up to two to three weeks, only if they're stable. But the important point is that if you can delay, it's a good thing because that gives that myocardium a chance to kind of heal and it's not fresh. Your chances of getting a repair and getting stitches that hold are better the longer you can prolong past that infarct. Other operative considerations are the urgency, balloon pump, bicaval cannulation. Some of these can be approached through the infarcted uh, LV. There are one and two patch techniques which will demonstrate and then also think about the concomitant procedures that may need to be done at the same time, either bypass, mitral valve replacement, aneurysm resection, or repair of the free wall. This shows a repair with a single patch technique of an anterior VSD with entry uh, through the infarcted area right here. Repair with uh, large pledgets and the patch, and then a linear closure technique. This is all, these are all illustrations from Dr. Doty's uh, atlas, and if you don't have this, this is an excellent, uh, excellent resource. This is a demonstration of a repair of a posterior VSD and a two-patch technique, which is uh, much more complicated and uh, and difficult and I'll tell you the myocardium does not look like this and so if you if you can at all again try to try to put these patients off if if they're stable enough and uh, give that myocardium a chance to declare itself if you put stitches in dead myocardium uh, those stitches aren't going to hold and, and the, the repair is, is going to fall apart. And it's hard to distinguish that 
immediately. Here's again repair of a posterior VSD with this two patch technique. And the results of repair. Survival, 35% early mortality. So this is this is a bad condition. Difficult patients, very sick. Five-year survival is only up to about 50 plus percent. Functional status can be good if they survive, and the modes of death up to 90% is usually some type of heart failure. 20% at least are technical failures, bleeding, residual VSD. The repair just doesn't uh, stay together. 10% sudden death, uh, possibly due to arrhythmia. 5% CHF and stroke and CVA can even be. The risk factors, hemodynamic status, RV function preoperatively, the extent of uh, the necrosis. Posterior are much more difficult than an anterior VSD. And uh, older age, renal dysfunction, the usual things. All right, follow-up question. Which of the following statements regarding repair of inferoposterior septal rupture is true? Resection should be limited to the inferior aspects of only the right ventricle. Mitral valve replacement should be performed through the left ventriculotomy if there is evidence of papillary muscle dysfunction. Delayed rupture of the ventricle is unusual following conservative resection of infarcted right ventricular tissue. If the posterior septum has cracked or split from adjacent ventricular free wall, the injury is lethal and cannot be repaired. Inferoseptal rupture rarely requires a two-patch technique. Okay, very good. Only 32%. Uh, I'm getting worse. Delayed rupture of the right ventricle uh, is unusual following conservative resection of infarcted tissue. Uh, well, I could argue with those, as you did. 